Welcome back to Martins and More. My name is Mari Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And I'm not sure how long we've been doing this podcast, Spoon, but to me it feels like 190 years. <laughs> Why, well, I thought it was just yesterday that we started <laughs> this. Um, but yes, it's been a good run. Um, I've enjoyed, you know, enjoyed it all and glad that our, our various listeners have enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope they keep enjoying it. Well, we have 190 reasons why they should stay tuned to this feature-packed episode. I know we're going to get into more than one topic, but the most important thing we can talk about today is the 190th anniversary of Martin Guitar, and more specifically, the guitar that comes along with it. What do you know about the Martin D19? Well, the D19 is a limited edition model. They decided to go with D19 uh, because of the 190 of the 190 years that Martin has been in business. And earlier this month, uh, being the month of November, uh, they had an event um, in New York City, basically at the nearest corner to where C.F. Martin Sr.'s workshop would have been. Unfortunately, the actual location is now part of the entrance to the Holland Tunnel. But... Um, and they also uh, released this very interesting guitar. It is a mahogany back and sides guitar with an Adirondack spruce top that looks like mahogany. And this is a, a result of, of course, their amazing digital printer that they have that they uh, use for tops at all levels of their uh, production line in um, in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and in Navajo, Mexico. And they decided to apply it to this special anniversary model. Uh, there'll be certainly people out there that remember the previous D19, which was uh, a D18 with a shaded top, that, but not a sunburst. It was like a dark top. And uh, it had a, a dark toner on the top. And they called it the D19 to, you know, make it different from the D18. And it was around for a very short time. It came out in 1976. 1976, of course, was the bicentennial, the founding of the United States. And Martin has decided to sort of tie into that idea uh, by marking the 190th anniversary of Martin Guitars uh, in this year, 2023. So, um, 1833, of course, Christian Frederick Martin uh, brought his family from the, uh, what uh, was part of the German Confederation at that time, or actually even before the German Confederation, so um, in uh, part of Saxony that, uh, that is now part of Germany, and he set up shop in New York City uh, for a, a brief number of years uh, before joining um, other German settlers, German-speaking settlers in Pennsylvania, in the area uh, in and around Bethlehem and Nazareth, um, and where they've remained ever since. So on the, on the surface, it looks like something similar to a D15 or the old D17 when it was a mahogany-topped guitar, um, but it is in fact uh, identical to the D18 in construction with the upgrade of a um, Eastern Red Spruce, a.k.a. Adirondack Spruce soundboard. 
It's funny. I was thinking about uh, the D17 while you were talking about that. I remember our friend Nikki had a D17 at some of the Martin Fest going way back. And this looks like it's a real mahogany top under a gloss finish with binding. You talked briefly about the fact that it was really based on the D19. And I wonder if a lot of people understand literally what you meant when you said it's a printed top or a painted top. I know Tim Teal was really, really careful to express to us back the last time we talked to him that this printer is actually a printing machine that has little paint nozzles on the ends of the, the printing part. So it's actually tiny little nozzles of paint. It's not a printed picture and it's not a painted sunburst, but it's sort of the combination. Technically, it's a printer that paints. So I know a lot of people in comments might get upset about this being a printed top. It's Yes, but no. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. Yes, but no. It's it's a bit of a thin line. You know, they they hand spray some of the, the sunbursts with a big sprayer, but but in this case, we're talking about tiny little sprayers that are digitally programmable and give you absolute photorealism. Because when you say it's a printed, a painted top, it doesn't look like one of Robert Getzel's paintings. It looks it it looks like the real thing. It is a high-resolution, photograph-quality image of a, an amazing piece of beautiful uh, mahogany that uh, would, have, would cost somebody a lot of money if they you know, were upgrading to get that. Um, I know that some people, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people out there, traditionalists, that have no interest in anything like this. I think it's a fascinating idea because there's a lot of people who really like the look of the 15 series guitars and some of the other guitars that used a, a mahogany top like the Graham Nash signature model, and but don't like the sound of a mahogany top. And so this is giving you the sound of a spruce top and even a Adirondack spruce top, um, but it gives you that, that uh, Brazil nut brown uh, color and grain of beautiful mahogany that goes along with the actual mahogany back and sides. I just thought of a trivia question. Let's hear it. Here's my next little segment. This guitar, you guys might have seen the really good video that Martin put up on their YouTube where Chris Martin's explaining the whole background of this instrument and the fact that this top is Adirondack. They're using some tops that did not make the grade aesthetically. They have some abnormalities or maybe they didn't like the looks of them. They are way past considering throwing wood away in 2023 and, and being as environmentally conscious as they are. They're not going to take a substandard looking piece of wood that's completely fine and toss it. This is their way of, of using pieces of material and being very, very conscious of not wasting anything. They're putting this together where they print slash paint the beautiful top onto a D19. Name the other guitar in Martin's recent history where Martin took pieces of unattractive looking Adirondack and used a similar concept to make sure that they could make use of these pieces of wood. Which model did that go on? That answer coming up. Well, I'll flat guarantee you that the original Martins in the 1930s that had the first sunburst, what they call a shaded top in those days, and, uh, and particularly the dreadnoughts. Uh, I, I believe our friend David Musselwhite owns uh, probably still the very first D18 with a shaded top. And, I mean, I beg your pardon, wow. D, D28 with a shaded top. And um, I think it was only one made in, I think it's a 35 or maybe it's a 34, but it, but there was, it was the first one made. And those guitars 
also had spruce tops that had certain visual anomalies to them that the very conservative Mr. Martin at that time, Fred Martin's father, um, probably thought wasn't, you know, something they wanted to put on their their very typically straight-grained instruments. And so they used the top shading process that other people at Gibson and Washburn and other places have been using for some time to cover up those cosmetic blemishes. And this is something they've, they've done for a very long time. In, in modern times, in meaning the 21st century, uh, Martin internally would refer to, to sunburst-grade tops. And again, top grading is done entirely cosmetically. It has nothing to do with what they, how good they think a, a guitar top is going to sound, the soundboard. Uh, it's entirely about visual uh, quality. And so they're taking advantage of some of these um, cosmetically challenged um, tops, if you will, and using, uh, instead of putting a sunburst on them or some other you know, covering, it's the first time they've applied this amazing photorealistic uh, technique onto a super fine professional level instrument. Uh, you can buy, you know, X-series guitars uh, all over the place with these kind of uh, imagery of, of amazing looking wood. And now you could buy a, a full-blown uh, Nazareth-based Martin uh, that has the same high-quality uh, construction of the standard series with all solid woods with one of these amazing looking soundboards. Are you saying that sunburst finishes were intended originally as a method to hide blemishes and, and make up for wood that didn't look nice with that one? I believe that that's true. I believe that that's where that originally came from. And uh, for many years, when uh, going back before the Second World War uh, and up into the 1950s, uh, wood that, uh, rosewood and, and uh, that was not considered cosmetically good enough for style 28 instruments. I'm talking about in the era where you, you only, we only had the choice between 28 and then the Pearly Martins, and then after 1942, you only had 28. And that was the top of the line. After, during the middle of the Second World War, on for a long time, a D28 was the, the primo guitar available for Martin. And they would take Rosewood that they, that Fred Martin didn't really think was, met his conservative standards of the way grain should look, cosmetically, and they put it on Style 21. So you see all kinds of fascinating uh, Brazilian rosewood on Style 21 instruments, and when the D21 came out in 55, um, up until it was retired in 69, you see some really wild, uh, both, you get wild grain in the rosewood, and you get really interesting, unusual-looking tops as well. It's the same idea, um, but here they're putting it, you know, they're just taking it and putting it under something uh, that looks really good. And, um, and again, then we're talking entirely cosmetic stuff, so it should have no bearing on the sound of the instrument whatsoever in terms of what the rosewood, or in this case, the spruce would have looked like without, uh, without the cosmetic enhancements. So is that why most Gibson guitars have sunburst? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> kidding. Come on, we're kidding. We're kidding. 
No, obviously people like the look of sunbursts. Um, I had never did. The one time the sunburst really grabbed me was uh, seeing as a as a young boy um, going to see the concert for Bangladesh and the drive-in movie with my brother and his date. I'm sure they were really happy they had me along. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, they uh, seeing Eric Clapton playing at ES35 with a, a, a sunburst, very blonde-looking sunburst, you know, very bright yellow and black sunburst finish. I thought that looked pretty cool, but that may have had more to do with the fact it was being played by Eric Clapton. But um, but yes, I you know I know I understand how people love them. My favorite sunburst of probably all time is probably the 1935 sunburst on an OM42 because of how it really makes the pearl pop. Uh, from the black edges, but in general, not a big fan of sunbursts. I would be more inclined to want something like this than a sunburst because I think this guitar looks spectacular. I do too, and I wonder if anybody watching this program on the YouTube version of this podcast, let us know in the comments or in the live chat, have you seen one of these in person? I'm not sure if they're shipping yet. I have seen some YouTube and Facebook hoopla, uh, so to speak, about this model, where it's been on display in a couple of places, but I can't be sure if that's one of those situations where Martin actually takes a couple around as prototypes or if these guitars are actually on the street. I know they're only making a limited number of them, Spoon 190 to be exact. Uh, I'll ask you, Spoon, have you seen anything in your neighborhood? No, I have not. I'm not in my neighborhood. I'm on the road on, ins on assignment, so All right. I haven't. And you know, I was invited to the ceremony, but I couldn't be in New York City at the time. Uh, on the 8th of November, they had that ceremony with a good deal of many people were there. Uh, Craig Thatcher, Nick Boak, um, and, and of course, Chris Martin, and then a, a whole host of people who still work at Martin. And... Um, and they uh, had a cop. They had a, a D19 there, as well as some other Martin guitars. Um, and somebody had did a really beautiful uh, chalk drawing on the sidewalk there. This is at the corner of Hudson Street and Vesey Street, in what they call Tribeca in New York City, which stands stands for the Triangle South of Canal, a uh, below Canal rather, tri Triangle below Canal. And uh, I, I'm sure Martin is really disappointed they didn't hold on to that property as it is the most expensive real estate in the country right now in terms of, in terms of private dwellings. But, um, and then they had a big to-do at a, uh, at a uh, Spanish restaurant in that same neighborhood where uh, you know, there were presentations and all that stuff. But I was not able to go because I couldn't get to town. But so I missed my opportunity to see the new D19 some other interesting things about the D19, because you had mentioned that the old D17. The old D17 was Martin's attempt to upgrade the D15 to a gloss top and add binding and perfling to it. And um, But those are very different guitars. Those guitars are not made with the full traditional uh, X-brace scallop bracing that you get from the standard series and nowadays forward-shifted scallop bracing. Uh, it wasn't made with a traditional solid uh, neck block and a traditional hand-fitted dovetail neck joint or any of that stuff. And um, and uh, though to be fair, I, I think those neck joints are are still hand-fitted, but they're probably made by a robot now that now they've perfected all that stuff. But you're still getting the full size uh, on this D19, uh, even though it looks kind of like a D17. You're getting the traditional full size. Uh, dovetail neck joint that I believe contributes uh, dramatically to the traditional full 
uh, body, Martin Tone, uh, and the, the um, fingerboard and bridge are made with Guatemalan rosewood, which I think is very cool. So, and the figuring on that works very well with this top. Uh, in addition, this is not, uh, this does not look like a D18. It has the rosette of the D28, NHD28. So I think that's pretty cool as well. So it's an interesting combination of uh, features, but otherwise has the same modern, has the modern uh, neck, the high-performance neck with the modern spring spacing and the modern one three-quarter inch width nut. And so it's, you know, it's, it's relying heavily on on the um, standard series specs, but with uh, with some you know additional features, it does have the um, it does have the dot uh, descending dot fingerboard of a D18. So it has a D28 rosette with a D18 the finger fretboard markers, and I don't remember if this is a bound neck. It's not a bound neck. I think you're getting the same. I think you're getting the same uh, neck that you would get on the other standard series guitars. Yeah, it's not bound. But uh, still, very cool instrument. Of course, it's a limited edition, so there is some bit of a premium price to it. It uh, sells for $4,000 even for the uh, privilege of having the first uh, Martin guitars made with solid Adirondack tops that have the uh, photographic uh, painting of... Uh, Beautiful, uh, highly figured mahogany. And uh, how does that compare with, let's say, a custom shop guitar that's exactly like a D18 except for a uh, Adirondack spruce top? Uh, that's a good question. We actually have some of them in stock, and that would be a D18 Adirondack. And if I'm, let me look it up quick, 3400 is street there. So for the difference of about 600 bucks, you really are, I would call that pretty much in line with if you did a one-off custom and wanted the top to look like a regular D18. Uh, everything's relative and, and uh, different people have different values of what's affordable and what's uh, what's not wasteful. But I think it's, uh, I can tell you the difference is only 600 bucks whether you think that's close or not. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I guess one major difference is you're getting a Guatemalan Rosewood Borden Bridge instead of an Ebony Borden Bridge, and Ebony's uh, denser, so it will have some impact on tone, but it's certainly debatable about how much and what difference a uh, Rosewood Bridge uh, means compared to an Ebony Bridge. Though, I've said this before, when you go back into the era where when Martin was making some M36s with Ebony Bridges, um, when they originally had Rosewood and then went back, unless I'm thinking of the M38s, but I'm pretty sure it's the M36s, I got a chance to play multiple examples side by side, and there was they seemed to be a noticeable difference between the Ebony Bridge and the Rosewood Bridge, where the Ebony Bridge gave a little, a little uh, fatter, lower mid tone, and the Rosewood Bridge seemed to give it a more open and, and uh, I guess, expressive tone, similar to the old... Uh, OM21s that had the uh, rosewood bridges. And you changed the question a little bit along the way, so I'm going to change my answer a little bit. If you look at a D18 with an Adirondack top and you want to upgrade to Guatemalan fingerboard and bridge, you're definitely going to be north of four grand because what I quoted you a minute ago was the regular D18 with the only difference being Adirondack top. So I think this is even more in line with uh, 
basically you can spend four thousand dollars in the martin custom shop and either get this or quite honestly i wouldn't be all that surprised if your custom one-off came in a tiny bit north of $4,000. But I want to back up just a touch. I know there are some listeners out there that might have made a face when you said it was like the D17. The D17 has been around more than once. We've been talking all this time about the D17 from, am I right to say the late 90s, about that time, Spoon? 2000, yeah. I think I, I think Nikki's was made in 2000, if I remember. And that's not the D17 family that still lingers around in things like the DSS-17 Whiskey Sunset and the Black Smokes that have been recently discontinued. That was the generation prior 17s. Yeah, in fact, two generations after they, after they got rid of the 17 series that were gloss copies, uh, gloss versions of the 15s um, back again when they were using the, um, the M&T neck joint and the special bracing that went along with those tops. They got rid of those, and they brought the 17s back briefly with spruce tops and an unusual red sunburst, and they made them in uh, Soap Shorter Triple O and a D, and those lasted like maybe a year, um, and maybe two, and then they disappeared too. So they were experimenting, but they all still had what would we would consider road series level uh, construction these days. And, um, and so those went away as well. And those all predate the modern 17s that were inspired, in the words of Martin's marketing department, on the mail order guitars from the Depression era, like Montgomery Ward and Sears and Roebuck, and uh, that were lightly built. They have almost no finish on them. You can feel the, ra- the grain of the wood, and you can feel those guitars just breathe uh, in your lap and in your hand uh, when, they, when they're vibrating. And, and, you know, very good bang for the buck, uh, made in Nazareth. Um, they were, the, I think, really the first guitars to be given the full complement of traditional X-bracing that was, was uh, basically carved by robot rather than machine, which is one of the reasons the prices were kept down so low. But, um, but they, uh, I, you know, I liked them. I thought they were good for the money. But yeah, totally different. So we're talking about a completely different D17 uh, and, or even the D18 and D19 from those eras as well. Back then, um, back then the D18 didn't have scallop bracing. So, so we're talking mm. about a long ago time when the D19 was around. The D19 would have had uh, spruce top and non-scallop braces, non non-forward shifted braces. So, really different instrument from this D19. So, if I follow your logic, Spoon, and I will call it your logic because you talked about it first, the D19 is commemorating the 190th anniversary of Martin Guitar. Is there a chance that the 200th anniversary will be commemorated with the D20? Well, I think they always put things out like this. They like trying new things. You know how much they love that uh, that amazing uh, printer painter um, and always looking for interesting <laughs> things to do with it. And um, I think they, uh, they, they, they put things out there and they see what the public has to say about them. And, and so that's a fascinating idea. I would be surprised if they don't come out with some serious uh, m- multiple instrument release 
So I could see them maybe coming out with a D20 that had a similar interesting top. I mean, there have been a lot of people saying they would love to see a rosewood top, and the few people who've paid money to Martin to actually make a custom shop instrument with a rosewood top, I don't even know if they'll do that anymore, um, probably weren't particularly in, uh, overwhelmed by the tone uh, of having a, a solid rosewood top. But, um, but I know some people would probably love to have the look of a solid rosewood top and um, on something like an Adirondack spruce top. I don't see why not. But I, I, with this thing about it, 200 years, the actual bicentennial, I'm expecting they'll be coming out with some really uh, interesting affluent model um, at some point around that time. But why not also do the D8, D20, basically a D, maybe a D, D28 with, uh, with some sort of uh, painted top? Ooh. More importantly, we're still talking about the number 20 near the middle of this episode. See if my hint lands. I see. Well, it sounds like you obviously are getting ready to, uh, to come up with your list of the 20 reasons we're still friends after all this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. It sounds like we're ready for 20 questions. And 20 Questions is the game where one of us uh, thinks of a Martin guitar that's currently available for sale, and the other one has 20 guesses to guess which uh, Martin that might be. And uh, these are regular catalog Martins. And you get up to three guesses as to which model that might be that count toward those 20. And since uh, we recently uh, did some special 20 questions with guests and other topics. I'm having a hard time remembering whose turn it is to guess. I think I got it, but just in case, tell me the whole thing again, I wasn't listening. (laughs) (laughs) You know, even when we go week to week doing it the same way, I still forget who goes next. How about you think of the guitar this week and I'll guess what it is. And I gotta get something that isn't something you've asked recently. And I've gotta get something that's still for sale, and I think I have something forming in my Swami's brain. And okay, we have 20 questions on the clock. Is this the D19? No, that's one question. <laughs> you already got me on that one time. I'm not going to Well, go again. <laughs> Is this guitar made in Mexico? It is not made in Mexico. Is this guitar made with the traditional dreadnought shape? Yes, it is made with a traditional dreadnought shape. Does this guitar have a top that has been printed painted? No, it has not uh, been printed or painted. The top has not been printed nor painted. That's three questions. I don't know if you'll know this without looking it up. Does this guitar retail for more than $3,000? Oh, it's got to. Yeah, definitely. Is this guitar in the Authentic series? It is not. That is five questions. Is this guitar in the Standard series? It is not. That's six questions. Is this guitar in the Modern Deluxe series? It is not. Seven questions. Is this a limited special edition? 
Yes, that's eight questions, and it is a limited and or special edition. Was this guitar the subject of a previous 20 questions? I have no idea, so you get, you get to re-ask that one. All right. Is this guitar acoustic electric? It is not. That's nine questions. This guitar is not acoustic electric. Does this guitar have a natural top? I'm not sure how to answer this. Does this guitar have a sunburst top? It does not. That's ten questions. Does this guitar have imagery on the top? That's 11, and that's a no. Does this guitar have a black top? No, 12 questions. Has this guitar been on the market for more than three years? No, it's not, it's not more than three years old. Does this guitar have 42 styling? No. I think we're up to 14 questions now. Does this guitar have pearl anywhere on the top? The answer is no, it does not. 15 questions. Is this guitar the hops and barley? The answer is no, it is not the hops and barley. That's 16 questions. Does this guitar have relicking? Yes, this guitar has aging, as you called it, as you call it, relicking. Is this guitar the D28 Rich Robinson? I wish I could tell you that it wasn't, but it is the D28 Rich Robinson. That's right, that's right. Yes, with the aged top and the aging top. I should have said aging, not aged, but yes, aged. You know, it's got all the nicks and stuff. It's inspired by the 1954 D28 that Robinson's dad played at the Grand Lone Opry and gave to him um, for him to play as his main Martin guitar with the rear-shifted non-scallop bracing. And uh, pretty cool instrument, uh, special barrel neck you know, to the neck and all that stuff. So pretty cool guitar that is still for sale uh, through Martin. It only came out in 2022. I can't believe it was that sh short a time ago, but that's when it came out. Wow. That is, that's very, very current. That's a great model too. I, my memory of that guitar is very loud in the mid-range, very forward. It's like the, the guitar starts to make a sound right before you hit the strings. It's, it's got a <laughs> lot of uh, immediacy to it from my memory. A really neat guitar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know some. Not everybody's into having things relic or aged and all that stuff, but it looks really, it's really well done, uh, and it was a monster uh, in terms of the sound. Well, good for me. So, uh, speaking of events, because I don't know how many people know this, but after Martin had their 190th anniversary celebration, they have also more recently have unveiled a new exhibit at the Martin Museum dedicated entirely to Joan Baez. And, of course, uh, Miss Baez is a, a major icon from the folk music boom and um, 
you know, and as a, a really, a, literally a, a child singer, uh, was a total phenomenon with her gigantic, glorious voice. And long before she hooked up with Bobby Dylan and ended up uh, <laughs> joining in the ranks of the, you know, the 60s uh, cultural revolution. And, um, you know, was a, was a gigantic star in, uh, at the beginning of her career and uh, worldwide and has remained uh, an enormous influence um, both in terms of her uh, music uh, her mentorship of other musicians and her social justice uh, work and all that stuff. So she gets a whole glass case. You've ever been to the Martin Museum? She gets a whole case just to herself that has a lot of uh, lot of her uh, personal artwork, paintings, and and that stuff, um, as well as a portrait copy of her, you know, signature model of her O. Uh, Forty-five from nineteen twenty-nine, as well as a couple other vintage Martins to. to that is cool. Have you found out how long it's going to be going on? I would actually want to go and see that. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll be there. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be there for uh, some length of time. I did not see what the uh, the email that I got didn't imply that it was going to be going away anytime soon. So nice. I'll have to check that out. So, um, that, so that was my news. Uh, do you have any news? Any uh, interesting? Uh, any interesting emails from listeners? Anything along those lines? Well, define interesting. I have some emails. <laughs> so uh, how many of them talk about what a wonderful person I am? Give me just a second. Let me go look. Better get your hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, now, we actually we do get a lot of viewer mail, and I want to take this opportunity to say thank you very much. It's very inspiring, frankly, the fact that we're on the air once a week, but at least five or six days between shows, I get a lot of people that ask us questions and, and give us comments and tips. And one of our most recent viewers reached out and wants to know, can we ever talk about or do a whole show about different kinds of pickups? And that's not the first time people have asked us about that, uh, but I know we have failed in trying to bring you uh, a complete podcast episode, top to bottom, of just guitar pickups. But that's not fair to keep pushing that into the distance until we feel like it's going to have its own whole show. I do want to, you know, react to that comment and and thank you very much for putting it in front of us again. When people are listening to our show and they have either a guitar that doesn't have a pickup yet, or maybe some of our listeners are looking to buy an acoustic electric guitar with a pickup built in already, there are more than a few ways to go. I can bring some experience to the table where I've tried, I don't know if Spoon's going to believe me, but he probably saw some of them in person. I must have tried more than 20 acoustic guitar pickups uh, over my lifetime and maybe more than a dozen uh, in the last you know, five or ten years alone. Anytime Martin or Fishman or LR Bags come out with something new, very, very often I get the opportunity to listen to it. A lot of the Blue Ridge guitars and Martin guitars that come from the factory do have pickup systems installed all together. And without boring you guys through the entire uh, soup to nuts list of the, the guitar pickups I've tried, because many of them aren't on the market anymore, all these acoustic pickups can basically be boiled down to three main styles. There's the sound hole pickup, the soundboard transducer, and an undersaddle pickup. And the differences are the sound hole pickup is just like what it sounds like. You actually put a pickup inside the guitar sound hole, and it's a magnetic kind of pickup that actually reacts to the vibrations of the strings. 
The second kind is the soundboard transducer, which actually applies to the bottom of the inside of the guitar's top and or bridge plate, so it hears and feels the vibrations of the strings, the saddle, the top, the bridge plate, a lot of wooden information there. And then the third kind is the under saddle pickup, which sits under the saddle inside the actual bridge. And that really hears the vibrations of the strings and the saddle. And depending on which brand you're talking about, very little else. So if you're looking to amplify your acoustic guitar, those are the main three ways you can go. And it's not necessarily fair to say that there are only three pickups, of course, but different brands like LR Bags, K&K, Fishman, Shirtler, Trance Audio, Dazzo, James May, there, there are probably a few that I'm going to forget uh, answering off the cuff, but you can basically look to more than four or five brands and go with either Sound Hole, Under Saddle, or Sound Board. And I know, uh, Spoon, you've, if my memory serves, you're playing with the K&K Pure Mini recently that's actually a bridge plate transducer. Is that still the, the case? Yeah, that's what I have in my current um, guitar. Um, when it comes to the sound hole pickups, they're not much different than an electric guitar pickup. They're magnets that are, as you said, that are you know picking up uh, from the the frequencies that are coming off the strings. And however, they typically are—I don't know if attenuated is the right word—but they they're clearly designed to work with acoustic guitars. Uh, some people uh, will notice those sunrise pickups because they're basically in the shape of a, like a half moon that uh, came out long ago, the first real, really successful sound hole pickup in the big stadium era, where many uh, aging players still use uh, their Sunrise uh, pickups. And I know LR Bags, they came out with uh, their version, you know, uh, versions now of the sound hole pickup. And, you know, every so many years, they, you would hear uh, the latest thing coming out that's, that's blowing everything else away, um, whether it's a sound hole pickup, under saddle pickups, um, which are you know convenient for plug and play stuff that don't fill up the sound hole. And then you get into those bridge plate sensors. Um, in the case of the K&K, three small sensors that you know, are glued to the top, um, basically try to pick up the three uh, ranges from the bass, mid range, and treble. And there are other companies that basically make the same thing. Um, they don't all sound exactly the same, but um, that's what I use. I, I started using that because when I was playing uh, in a trio uh, for Paul Yukina Jr. Uh, as a sideman, that's what the other two guys were using. And they were using the Red Eye preamp. Uh, that people have often recommended to go with the K&K. So I got the same thing so that we'd basically all be on the same page. And, you know, it's, uh, it's perfectly fine. I've never heard a pickup yet that, um, that sounds exactly like an acoustic guitar, other than maybe the Fishman Aura system, which is, a, which is the regular under-saddle uh, pickup, but that then goes through that Aura preamp that applies all that computerized tweaking to make it sound much more like a acoustic guitar being uh, being picked up by a microphone's diaphragm. I guess what I'm leading up to is most of them do a decent job 
And most of the time, most players are playing through sound systems. I mean, the whole chain matters. And the important thing is that you're getting, I think, you want to get a balanced sound across the strings um, into that system. And then you have to, you know, hopefully you'll have a sound guy or have the ability to tweak the sound. But, um, but they're not all created equal. Uh, you've, I just mentioned the under-saddle pickups. There's a variety of those that, that some people prefer one over the other. But you've been using the modern version of the old Trance Amulet. So what is that called, and how is that different from other under-saddle pickups? Yeah, it's the Trance Audio Amulet M, and it's the dual mono version of the stereo system that people like Jackson Brown, Neil Young, Paul Simon, Sheryl Crow, uh, there's a, a real contingency of artists that want that bridge plate sound and the way I would describe it compared to the traditional bridge plate sound that you have on the K&K it's basically an industrial strength version so instead of three small discs being passive it's two little shoe boxes and it's active so you can either power it by a nine volt battery or by phantom power and it's it sums both the treble side lens and the bass side lens into a mono signal that you can plug into any amplifier or regular guitar cable into a PA system or acoustic amp and back and forth if you really spend time with a good preamp and good EQ you'll recognize they sound more similar than different but in, in my humble opinion when you play the K&K &K, you can overdrive that a little bit sooner than the trance and you can play the trance with a lot more high headroom but they're both trying to give you the same idea of a sensor that's hearing the strings move the saddle, move the bridge, move the top, move the bridge plate, and it's it's so it's so it's such a layered sound. It's not just stringy. It's not just all saddle. It gives you a lot of wood, and it's it's one of those sounds that I've grown to like a lot. And Spoon started talking about the Fishman Aura, and I should put a little bit of a caveat on the advice I started giving first, where you can pair these down to sound hole, soundboard, or under saddle. When I say that, that's the root or that's the core of the system, but any of those sounds can be paired with a microphone or, like in the technology of the Aura, a mic simulator. So what you're trying to do is, whether it's the uh, LR Bags Anthem that gives you the undersaddle sound plus a real microphone inside the guitar, or the Fishman Aura, or the Fishman VT Enhance, there are ways to combine more than just one sound. And just as you might suspect, if you're going to look at something through one lens, it's going to look one certain way. Once you double that, if you're going to pair up like an undersaddle with a microphone or a bridge plate sensor with a microphone, maybe the undersaddle with the faux microphone sound of an aura, a little bit goes a long way. And I, although most people in the audience are probably guilty of not knowing what you're playing through, it's, it's very clear to me, if you search YouTube and you find some band playing an acoustic set, you might hear their sound might sound kind of stringy, and by dumb luck you go to the next video and someone else is playing, and it sounds so much more realistic. Most of the time, if the more realism you hear in an acoustic guitar amplified signal, the more chances are that it's a dual system, a dual source system, or it's a high headroom preamp or a high headroom system to begin with so you can take and take all that advice and totally throw it on its ear <laughs> one of our good friends tony phillips played a great set this past year at martin fest and i had to ask him after the fact i said man your set was so good what pickup do you have in your guitar and it's a, a jjb which to my knowledge is basically a budget version passive uh offshoot of what the k and k is doing so a lot yeah. of people ask me 
Can you get along with the K&K being 99 bucks or 110 bucks and no preamp? And do you need to put a lot more money into your sound? You got to hear how good Tony sounded as the opening uh, musician on Martin's on Main with, I think he would be okay with me telling you, I think that pickup's like 50 bucks. Yes, I actually have one in the Triple O C sixteen that that I uh, traded him for long ago that I still have, and I would say as uh, they're not as powerful, they don't sound nearly as loud. Like if you're just going uh, direct through the pat, you know, you're plugging the passive pickup into an amp or whatever, you definitely have to turn it up more. But they're still quite, they're still similar, and. But that's the thing, too, is that, you know, there are some people that, that they know how to either tweak or their sound man knows what he's doing. And you can get, you know, with the most basic sound hole pickup, you can, you know, you can, it's still, it doesn't suck, you know. And, <laughs> and the, mo- the modern audiences are so used to hearing pickups when they're seeing somebody play an acoustic guitar on stage that they've just come to accept that. Going all the way back to when people were using Ovation as the first acoustic guitar that they could play in big stadiums. And so as long as it sounds pleasant, I know everybody wants it to sound just like their guitar does in their living room. Um, The other thing is, if you don't mind spending the time to tweak, and there's some people who love the, the bells and whistles and the knobs and setting stuff just up and tweaking it all up and all that sort of thing then there's people like me who are over that and i just you know (laughs) plug and play and leave it to a sound man whenever possible i try to put a mic on the guitar and tell the sound person if they are remotely capable um what i want to do is i want to have as much microphone as possible without feeding back and then bring up the pickup just to fill it out and get some extra volume um, oftentimes that just turns into I get all pickup and no, almost no mic at all. But I like the sound of mics enough that it's you know I find it's worth worth going through the trouble of what you call it a dual source. In my case, it's it's literally two sources. I'm not talking about having a internal mic or one of those mics that hook to the side of the guitar or anything like that. But yeah. I play in small rooms most of the time in New York City. You know I can't if I was. You know, if I ever had to play town hall, I w- couldn't do that. I mean, I've seen Louis Leo Kotke do it, but but I uh, I would much rather just be able to plug into something that isn't going to suck and it's going to be good enough. And I'm pretty easy these days. I years ago I used to be much more persnickety about that stuff. Yeah, and I'm probably, if I'm being honest, I'm still persnickety, but it's it's a conversation worth having. And maybe to sum this up in, in a nice, wrap it up in a nice bow, if you want the most gain before feedback and the most traditional sound isn't something you're after anyway, you're going to have a sound hole pickup is going to be the loudest with the least feedback. And then you go to an undersaddle pickup, that's going to be next. It's going to be very, very forgiving, and it's not going to feedback nearly as quickly as bridge plate, but it's going to sound a little bit more immediate with the strings. And a lot of people don't want to hear this, but just adjusting your technique and EQ and your pick, if you're playing with a pick, you can certainly do yourself some favors and find a pick thickness and material that does not exaggerate those really nasal quacky sounds i've seen people play locally at the mansion house and i'm like man these sound so good and they're playing an undersaddle pickup but they know how to eq a guitar and they're playing a pick that is not goosing that strident really 
picky, clicky idea. So what you're feeding the pickup matters as much, if not more. And then in my opinion, if you want the most wooden sound, and of these three styles, of these three single source styles, I would say bridge plate transducer. And I'm, I'm a user and a proponent of the Trans Audio Amulet. I, I just have used that over seven years now and nothing's come out better. But in the hopes of full transparency, as we're taping this program in mid-November, I do know that the LR Bags Hi-Fi gets great reviews. I haven't played it yet. There's a brand called the Dazzo that gets a lot of great reviews. And James May makes an ultratonic that uh, has a lot in common with the K&K. Those are three brands and three names you should have on your radar if you're looking into these. Uh, go ahead and YouTube some of that stuff. I can't say that I can give you real-world advice from using those, but from reading people that I definitely trust, a lot of people that, that I think know what they're doing have said good things about those. So maybe that couldn't be its own whole podcast episode, but boy, I didn't want to wait a lot longer to uh, you know, bring that to your attention. And I do appreciate you guys that have asked us for pickup talk. Uh, we'll give you at least a little bit of a taste, and maybe in the future, maybe we could even not only talk about pickups longer, but we could maybe get bring you some real-world examples, depending on what we have here in the store. And that's part of the problem, too. Some of the best stuff that I'd recommend isn't stuff I have at arm's length that I can reach out and play it for you. But it's it's certainly worth looking into. And um, yeah, I, I think it's one of those subjects I never get done talking about, frankly. Well, and so, tone is so subjective. I'd just like to point out, I realize I misspoke and I referred to the, the amulet as an under saddle rather than under bridge plate. But yeah, it's a bridge plate pickup. And uh, some people complain about it's per, it is itself persnickety in terms of installing it. You've been installing them for a while now. So what's the trick to installing a trance? The problem is, and, and this depends on your personality more than your literal skill, Anyone who buys the Trans Audio Amulet system, whether it's the stereo or the Doom Mono, you can do it yourself. Uh, it gives you double stick tape that's as strong as glue, but the benefit is if you want to remove it or move it around, you can get it back off the bridge plate cleanly. Uh, here's the, the long and short of it. It's you got to put the base side lens on the saddle line by the base side strings, and the treble side lens mirrors that. And... More than half the time when I'm doing an install, I'll get one of those lenses exactly right the first try. And it takes 12 hours of clamping with a, a turnbuckle clamp before you can really evaluate it. So it's not fast. It's one of those, once people see that, that turns a lot of people away. But after you get one lens perfect, I'll do the second lens. And oftentimes, something will sound a little bit off. One of the strings might not be as loud as the other five. It might be very, very close, but I'll tell my mind... All you have to do is take it off and try again. Because I can, I will. And it's, it's just, it's not uncommon for me to need four days to put one of those pickups together. After the fourth day, it sounds like a million bucks. But some of those times where I wanted to just make a slight tweak to get it perfect, it was almost perfect to begin with. And if it was glued on or if it was a lot harder to redo, I would have never gone through the trouble. But because it's very easy to take it off and start over again, my personality wants to get everything perfect. I'd never want to send a guitar across country and have a customer call me back to say, listen, I don't think the B string is quite right. Can you do it again? It's so much easier to do it right the first or second time. But if you don't have one of those obsessive personalities and you're okay with it being 99% right, uh, you'd probably get that far on the first try. And it's just the fact 
that each lens has to be held in place with a clamp for 12 straight hours. That makes a lot of people go and complain about how that's that's no fun. Well, it, it's not. It's not as fun as putting an undersaddle pickup under a saddle and the job's done in 15 minutes. But I, to me, the, the extra time's worth it. And it's not fair to say that you always need the extra try. Sometimes it, it is properly done on, on the first attempt. That's a very interesting. And I know a lot of people don't realize that some of these pickups don't work by themselves. They have to go into some sort of amplification. Uh, I can certainly plug my passive K&K pickup you know, directly, but you're not going to get much of a signal. It really wants to go through a preamp of some sort that's outside of the guitar, where a lot of these pickups come with preamps on the inside of the guitar. What do you run your trance through to boost that? And but you said they're active. Are they active enough that they literally can go direct without going into to any other kind of uh, amplification? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the trance audio is a very hot signal, and it's actually self-regulating. If you plug into one amplifier on Friday and a different mixing board on Saturday, it you don't have to play with a preamp at all. I choose to run mine through a radial PZ Deluxe, but only because it gives me the boost feature and a mute feature. And since it's already connected, there are times I do adjust the treble or the bass a little bit, but I don't do anything surgical. And if you'd walk into any situation with the trance audio pickup, you don't need to have a preamp at all. The The boost feature is very convenient for me. You might not need a mute. Uh, there are times I forget my pedal board in, in the car and eh, I'll just deal without it tonight. And it's hardly a deal breaker, but yeah, they, and the other thing is they do make an ultra pure mini where the preamp is inside the guitar and it's got a nine volt battery, and that really does rival the the Trans oh, Audio product. I'd forgotten all about that actually. Yeah, yeah. the the K and K Pure Mini is so popular. A lot of people either forget that you could even go looking for the active version, and I saw a lot of people comparing the new LR Bags Hi-Fi to the K and K, and it's unfair. You should really be comparing the LR Bags Hi-Fi to the K and K Ultra Pure Mini, two nine volt active systems back to back but just for fun look on youtube you'll see so many people compared the passive kk to the active lr bags hi-fi and they're picking on the kk for not keeping up well it's it's not the same system yeah yeah and i i like i said i got the uh, uh i got the preamp that i have uh, because that's what paul and frank were using but it does have the boost feature and having that for solos uh, makes a big difference um doesn't have a mute fe feature however so that's interesting and uh, i also uh, speaking of forgetting i forgot to mention the reason i stuck with k and k is they offer you the uh the vintage jack and so this allows you to not drill a hole in your guitar to fit the uh, quarter-inch jack. You can use a mini jack, an eighth-inch jack. You have to have an adapter with it, and I have run into it. I was down in Cape May, playing a place in Cape May, and I forgot my mini jack. <laughs> so I had to use the host's <laughs> guitar, because, uh, which is a Takamini, because I couldn't plug in. So you get, that's one downside, but one good side of it is, is that you basically have a permanent strap button with the, little, with the plug for the eighth-inch and you just have to always remember to have one of those dongles with you. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I like having that. So that's what I've gone with, uh, for, you know, for some time now. But, and also I have to point out, yeah, I've been very impressed with, I've been very impressed with your acoustic sound, uh, when, whether you're playing with the band or, or not. So Thank it's, you. Definitely a, it's definitely a good recommendation for the, for the, the time it takes to, to put the trance in correctly 
uh, and reap the, the benefits. Well, speaking of recommendations, I'm a sucker for a good segue, and it's probably about time we wrap this up anyway. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a good recommendation over on Apple Podcasts. Oh, wait, hold the phone. I completely forgot about our trivia question. It's time I give you the answer. And the answer is the Martin 00016 Streetmaster. Very cool, and that's a uh, fascinating trivia question. And uh, so it's a great way to uh, end the program. From all of us at Mari's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. <laughs>